Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Maves, your host for tonight's show. On this broadcast, we'll be featuring Daniel Ritz, and we'll be answering your questions on the Western Native Trout Challenge that Daniel's been working on for the past year or longer. We'll find out more about that in a minute. The show will be 90 minutes in length, and we're broadcasting live over the Internet. And if you'd like to ask Daniel a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use the Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Just fill in your name and email address in the form on the right side of our web pages, and then we'll let you know when the next live show will be. This broadcast is being recorded and will be available for playback on our website about 48 hours after the show ends. You'll also be able to find it on any of the podcast distribution sites like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have to leave early, you can return to the website or any of the podcast platforms at your convenience and listen to the recording at any time. If you're out and about on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, we'd sure appreciate it if you'd share our podcast. And when you do, use the hashtag ask about fly fishing, and also hashtag fly fishing. In fact, if you've got a moment, do it right now. We've got a couple of links on our homepage, and it'll help you do that easily. The content of this broadcast is copyrighted. It's the property of the Knowledge Group Think, doing businesses ask about fly fishing. When we return, we'll be talking with Daniel Ritz about the Western Native Trout Challenge. The Colorado River at Lee's Ferry is called by some the world's largest spring creek. It's a massive, clear-running tailwater fishery that runs 15.5 miles from the base of the Glen Canyon Dam to the upper reaches of the Grand Canyon. At times, it gives the impression of being not one or two, but a series of parallel spring creek-like waterways. The fishing is great, and the scenery is gorgeous. Lee's Ferry Anglers provides professional guide service to this outstanding rainbow trout fishery, as well as food and lodging at Cliff Dwellers Restaurant and Lodge. See for yourself why Lee's Ferry is on every fly fisher's must-do list. Visit leesferryanglers.com. Again, that's leesferryanglers.com, or call them at 800-962-9755. That's 800-962-9755. Before we introduce Daniel, we'd like to let you know about the great prizes we have to give away tonight. For our drawing tonight, we'll be giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International and a one-year subscription to the Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. So you have two chances to win tonight in our drawing. Now, if you haven't registered yet for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and look for the link under Daniel's section that says register for a free drawing. Click on that link, fill out the form, and we'll announce the winners at the end of the show. We'll also be giving away a book from Stackpole Books. So I've got a list of books here that I can give away, and if you are the lucky winner, I'll be sending you a list of Stackpole books, and you can pick one, and it'll be yours. So here's how, what you have to do to win this. At the end of the show, I'll be asking a question. Sometimes it's a one- or two-part question, and it's going to be about something that Daniel and I talk about during the show. You have to be the first person to send that answer in, along with your name and location, and if you are the first person, then you'll win that book from Stackpole Books. So listen closely, take notes, type fast, and maybe you'll win a book from Stackpole Books. And by the way, just to check out all the things that Stackpole offers, you can go to stackpolebooks.com, and they're a great publisher with a lot of great titles. 
Our guest tonight is Daniel Ritz. Daniel is an outdoor journalist and writer based in Boise, Idaho, and he's a former editor at the Dana Point Times. Ritz's work have been published by Trout Unlimited, Corvus, Western Native Trout Initiative, Backcountry Anglers, Hunters and Anglers, Outdoor Idaho Magazine, Alaska Sporting Journal, Fish Alaska Magazine, and Visit Idaho. Most recently, Daniel created a 24-part series sharing the experience of his Western Native Trout Challenge that was published by Trout Unlimited, Orvis, Western Native Trout Initiative, and the Montana Fly Company. In it, he wrote personal experience-based essays and the natural history and science-based species profiles for each of the 20 native trout and char species available to anglers within the western 12 states of the United States. Western Native Trout on Western Public Lands, his full-length article in Backcountry Journal for Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, will be available in early 2022. Currently, Daniel volunteers as the communications coordinator for the Ted Trueblood chapter of Trout Unlimited and Idaho Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. In 2020, Ritz founded Jack's Experience Trading Company, and his editorial focus is contemporary issues regarding the conservation, the environment, outdoor recreation, and legislation. Daniel, welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. Hey, Roger. Thanks for having me. Happy yeah, to be good here. to have you. Hard to get you off yeah, the water. I <laughs> fished today. It was fantastic. Oh, did you? Yeah. Has the weather yeah, been gorgeous up there too? Yeah. It's cooling down, which is nice. It was a it was a long hot summer, as I know a lot of the West experience. But uh, it's cooling down here, and it's nice to have a nice quiet evening. And the work kind of promoting the conclusion of this series has been just as much work as if you can call it work, as, uh, as actually doing it. So it's been good to get a little respite out on the water here at home. Where were you fishing today? What water? Just here in town. Uh, Boise River oh. is a, pretty, a fantastic fishery that runs right through town, and we are very lucky to have such a resource available. And It's minutes away from my house, so I just, uh, just oh, got wow. out to go cast the rod. I'm practicing my two-hand casting technique and just got out for a little bit of practice and happened to get a few fish along the way. Well, good. Good for you. Good, good. Well, let's, um, I don't know that everybody knows. I was unaware of this until we first talked, but why don't you tell us about the Western Native Trout Challenge? What is it and what have you been pursuing here for months? Sure. I'm happy to share the Western Native Trout Challenge and, and just, I'm going to try to define it as top level as I can, but just so everybody knows, the Western Native Trout Challenge has a fantastic website that I would encourage everybody to go visit and check out. In summary, the Western Native Trout Challenge is hosted by what's called the Western Native Trout Initiative, which is a a partnership of the 12 Western states, which focuses on recovering and restoring habitats for the purpose of, you know, enabling sustainability and growth of our native trout and char species, salmonid species, I guess would be appropriate. So for the last six months, uh, since April, I have been more or less completely on the road pursuing the Western Native Trout Challenge, which is a framework for, there's different levels that you can pursue. I pursued what's called the Master Caster pursuit for them, which is 18 of the native trout and char species of the Western 12 states, in all 12 states. So I traveled all 12 states. I caught 18 of the 20 available native species, and we can get into what that means a little bit, but 18 of the 20 available native trout and char species of the western 
the United States. So I've been doing that and just wrapped it up. Sorry to jump ahead, but just wrapped it up a couple of weeks ago. And happy to say that you know this is a life-changing experience. Western Native Trout Challenge and Western Native Trout Initiative. Check them out. What's it involve? What do you have to do? And what do you get at the end other than self-satisfaction? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> self-satisfaction and a lot of good memories. I'm wearing a really cool hat right now that I thought was going to be a little promo freebie, but it actually fits really nicely. And But besides what you get, really, what the idea is that you go out and whatever level or whatever way that you want to pursue your Western Native Trout Challenge, it's a $25 entry fee that you pay before you begin your pursuit. And then you document the fish that you catch. And the idea is that there are no overlapping same species for different states. So for example, if I was going to count a Yellowstone cutthroat trout in Wyoming, I could not then count that for my fish that would be represented for, let's say, Utah or Idaho. They have to be different, and there's different levels to where you have the, uh, the expert level, which is six trout species across the four states, so there's no duplicate species across the states. There's the advanced, which is 12 of the 20 trout species across eight states, and then I pursued, there's 18 trout species across the 12 states, and that's your master level there, and you go and you document them as you catch them. You can do it in any variety of angling. It is catch and release. And again, you do register before, they want you to register before you go to ensure that you're obeying all of your various state regulations, federal regulations as well, and just want to make sure that everybody's in tune, which is part of the fun as it is. And you document those, the fish that you catch as you go, and you submit them at the end, and you're rewarded with a, there's a certificate and some recognition there, you're listed on their website, but that money goes directly towards conservation and towards the future of the largely at least threatened, I'll call them socially threatened, native species of the West. So it's, a, I don't know, Roger, I, we, we're fly fishing. I've spent $25 on much less than that. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah, a few uh, schools of tippet <laughs> to do that. <laughs> um, yes, exactly. So how do you document your catches? It's going to be any photograph. You do not have to be in the photograph, so you can do it by yourself. I actually did most of this trip by myself. I was living out of my truck, and I have a Canon camera that I use for you know, photos for the stories. You don't have to. You can use a phone. You can following conservation general guidance. You know, it's preferable, and I know Trout Unlimited would really prefer to have those photos of the fish in the water. This is a conservation project, so any sort of sustainable practices would absolutely be encouraged, but it doesn't have to be per se. You don't have to be in the photo. It does not have to be a grip and grin with your face to prove that you're there. You submit those photos too, and they go through their board, which is made the Western Native Trout Challenge is made up of representative from each of the 12 states as well as a few of the federal agencies that oversee what's called their steering committee. And they're not looking to critique or pick apart your submissions. But if you look at their website, and they have these fantastic maps that showcase a really clear definition what the states consider to be the native habitat of these species, you can be led right into where you need to be, and you let them know where you caught it. And it's a really fun process that I found to be a really contextually dense angling experience. You know, it takes it, it changes it from what happens to you into what you are participating in. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Now, when was this the Western Native Trout Challenge created? 2019. 2019. So it's relatively early. yeah uh, new. Yeah, and it was it created is. for the purpose of kind of promoting conservation of the these species in the different states in general conservation for fishing, right? Yes. Therese Thompson, who is the coordinator of the Western Native Trout Initiative, like their guidance for the challenge is really to simply to raise awareness of the existing Western Native Trout species. Raising awareness, the funds go directly to conservation. The initiative is a fundraising partner in many of these fish habitat partnerships across the West, which are a combination of federal agencies and state agencies. They can also be privately supported by donations, which I'm sure they would love a plug for. Um, If I had any money, I would gladly give it to them because they're doing fantastic work, which I've seen in person on the road as I've gone. But yeah, it's largely just to raise awareness, to raise consciousness of Mm -hmm. our Western native trout, which was extraordinarily impactful to me in my origin of fly fishing. Right, right. What gave you the idea to pursue the challenge in the first place? Exactly that, Roger. It's a genuine. Yeah. It's, okay. it's a general curiosity. It's mm-hmm. uh, so I live in Boise. I started fly fishing in the before I started fishing. I was really an active backpacker, backcountry. Just you know, I would enjoy getting out for the weekends and hiking up to an alpine lake or summiting a peak. And I found myself interested in fly fishing because it was similar to I'm, I was born of surf culture. I was a surfer and I. East Coast, West Coast, traveled the world doing that, and uh, I, I loved that pursuit aspect, and I found fly fishing. You know, this feels kind of similar, so I gave it a shot, and I caught my first fish in the Central Mountains in the Frank Church Wilderness in Idaho, and much later, I realized that I didn't know what I had caught, and I don't know exactly how that happened. Turns out it was a West Slope cutthroat trout when I look back at the photos, which I'm a little bit happy about. Hmm. but it was not intentional. And then, long story short, I was I was working a job in 2019. I was working here in Boise, and I just I was pretty unfulfilled professionally. And as a writer, previous my entire career, I, I've written and I've been an editor, and I was always looking for different stories. I was, became interested in native trout and the story of natives. And so I... Uh, I stumbled across this on the internet, honestly, and I just said, there's a story there. This was 2020, and it had just began the year before. And I said, there's a real story there. There's something to this. And so I started to form my own. It was just pulling at me, pulling at me, pulling at me, and it got me interested in the various native trout challenges and slams, as they call them, across the country. And that led me to Brett Prettyman, who is the communications coordinator for Trout Unlimited. And he and I just hit it off like that. I just snapped in case you can't hear that. And uh, we hit it off and started a conversation and he agreed that there was a story there and we were off the races. That was huh. winter of 2020 and in the spring I was on the road. And what were your initial plans on how to finance the travels and the whole project? I was pretty set that I wanted to be doing something different. I wanted to get back to chasing stories and I wanted to get back to writing about experiences and occasions in places that I cared about and that I thought were important and sort of exemplary. I don't consider myself exemplary in 
literally any way, but I think that there are occasions that you can place yourself in to, that can be shared, that other people can take something away from. And so my initial plans were I just really, I, I took off late into the fall, through the winter, all the way through the spring. I was, I kind of hibernated and I saved as best I could. And then as I started to really share this story with Trout Unlimited, with the Western Native Trout Initiative, with Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, these different threads started to show themselves. And it's, I realized that it is a project such as this, not the challenge in it, as a normal sane person would do it, is $25 is not challenging. But this was a real investment for me. I said, there's something to be born from this. And so, yeah, I just started paving a way to see who would want to be a part of this and what value it could offer different folks. So you did, you were able to get some sponsors to help with uh, financing the trip for you? Yeah. I'm very fortunate. Out of the gates, like I said, Trout Unlimited was behind it and it just inherently ingrained in that was where they were matched. Western Native Trout Initiative supported that and really wanted this story to get out and to be told and thought oh. it was of value to them. That was great. That was totally my pitching and I reached out. I thought there will be an upcoming story and Backcountry Journal for Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, where um, it's focused exclusively on Western Native Trout, on Western public lands. I think you said that on the intro, but I was on the beach at Pyramid Lake starting the first of a multi-part trip for Lahontan Cutthroat Trout when I talked to Katie McCallop of BHA when I got the sign-off that, you know, that sounds great, we're all, we're all in, and it has just been an experience of one great partner after another, and from a couple of those, you know, Brett and I met Chris. The initial phone call was Brett Prettyman, Chris Hunt of Trout Unlimited, a esteemed author in his own right. I can't believe I'm saying that I'm working with him. And Therese, and then the guys from Orvis. And they, we brought on Orvis, who wanted to be a part of this and a supporting partner. And I hope I can say that, because I don't know if they support the show, but they supported me, and I'm very grateful for it. Yeah. They, oh, no, yeah, they, that's yeah, they, fine. They, they, yeah. They came in and supported me with financial opportunities and also with like a lot of great gear that I, I would have done it regardless, but it probably would have been a struggle, and that was very lucky mm-hmm. for that. And Montana Fly Company, because, Roger, I'm not a pro fisherman, and so there's a lot of flies in trees across the West. And so I appreciate them <laughs> yeah. um, fill, filling up a few boxes before we left. Yeah, yeah. I'm very yeah. grateful and very lucky. Yeah, well, we do have, uh, and we've had, uh, you know, other writers on the show. In fact, um, uh, John Garrick and... Next uh, show, I'm interviewing Randy Wayne White, who's written some 40-some books, you know, and outdoors and fishing and novels and stuff. And so I always like to kind of dig into writers, you know, how they get things done, and because there's other aspiring writers out there that want to know, well, maybe I could do something. Where's a story I could follow? So, so that's where I want to dig in. Dan in Seattle was asking, you know, how did you budget for this? It sounds you said you're sleep, you know, living out of your car, so this wasn't uh, deluxe Hiltons that you were budgeting for, was it? No, and I didn't budget nearly enough. It was mostly gas is the biggest thing, and, and the, pursuing your Western Native Trout Challenge is not a financially challenging excursion per se. The way that I did it. You know, when you're, oh, well, I'm going from New Mexico straight to Central California. You know, that's a 1,000 miles that I covered and a couple of tanks of gas and a F-150, and it adds up pretty quickly. I took off. Yeah. I was fully committed to this, and I think um, I'm going to kind of combine these two 
questions, ideas into one, if that's okay. But I think with the pursuit of sponsors, and I didn't just, I really wasn't looking for sponsors, and I will be completely open in saying that I was a little bit hesitant of brand, like Orvis or Montana even coming in. But when we opened those conversations, how supportive they were into the whole idea and how, you know, there was no no product shots or no any sort of, like the value that I was bringing to this is what they wanted to be a part of. And so it felt like a genuine, natural thing. I think that was key. And that really brought into this whole pursuit. I just took off. I was fully committed. I was fully committed to like, this was going to be my investment personally, professionally, financially into a future. And what I firmly believe, and I have had life experiences that have led me to believe that, uh, you know, I just sort of took off and I sat out you know, the better part of, we were all sitting at home anyway for COVID, right? And I just, I sat it out and I sat <laughs> home and tried to put it in the mattress or under the mattress, I'm sorry. And at the end of it came out and, and said, you know, I'm going to give this a real honest go and use yeah. all the training and sort of skills that I have to make something real and hopefully yeah. valuable. And, and I think it turned out into something that hopefully people are proud of. Yeah, yeah, good. Listen, Daniel, we need to take a quick break. Uh, but when we come back, we'll talk more about your the challenge and your journeys and see what it was all about. So hang tight. We'll be right back. There are not many places in the world where you can fly fish for permit, tarpon, bonefish, and snook all within a few miles of each other. But you can in Belize. When you fish with Charlie Leslie Fly Fishing, you're on a private island and are only minutes away from some of the finest fly fishing in Belize. You'll start out from Placencia and take just a 30-minute boat ride to your lodging on the island. And once you're there, you'll be fishing lagoons full of tarpon and targeting permit on the flats of Permit Alley. Bonefish and snook are ready for your cast as well. Charlie Leslie, with over 50 years of experience in the waters of Belize, and his son Marlon Leslie, and the other hand-picked guides know the waters like no others. Book your next Belize adventure now with Charlie Leslie Fly Fishing. Visit charlielesliefly.fishing.com. Again, that's charlielesliefly.fishing.com, or call 303-430-4634. 303-430-4634. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We're talking with Daniel Ritz about the Western Native Trout Challenge. So if you'd like to ask Daniel questions, go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use that Q&A box and send us your questions. We'll try to get them answered on the show here tonight. So, Daniel, I always ask my guests, hey, what's going on in your fly fishing world? So now that uh, you've completed this challenge, what's next, and what are you involved in regards to fly fishing? Yeah, well, settling, you know, settling back in, it's good to be home. When I was in Alaska, I actually got engaged. So me and my fiancé were planning our wedding, and that's taken up a lot of our time. And, but me personally in fly fishing, I am a I – I met – Roger, hundreds, hundreds of good folks on the road from all over these different states, and they're involved in the conservation of these species. And so I'm just looking to really continue and further those relationships and look at the stories. I have a, you know, I have a whole paperback book full of ideas and stories that I want to pursue, and hopefully we'll get to them. So I've got a couple of those that are actually hot, cold, you know, in the fire. I will be headed back to pursue the only species that I could not get that I tried. That was in Alaska, an Arctic char. I could not get one up there. So I'll be headed back there next year. I'm working with the Trout Unlimited Alaska for a really fun story surrounding that. So look forward to that. I mentioned with my two-hand spay casting technique, and I'm working on a process 
uh, I'm sorry, working on a story revolving around fly fishing and the angler engagement and how that relates to steelhead and the unfortunate returns that we're seeing this year. And that's a really complicated story that I'm looking forward to spending a lot of time to. So also got to find a job somewhere in there and uh, hopefully yeah. keep having a little bit of fun. So yeah, yeah, been, yeah. been busy, but it's, these are good things to be busy with. Do you have a website where people can follow your travels, your journeys, yeah, your writing? Sure. So anything, yeah. anything that I produce for anyone, I host my own personal website, so I am technically full-time freelance right now, and that's Jack's Experience Trading Company, all you know, lowercase, all one word, J-A-C-K-S, experiencetradingcompany.com. And I am Jack's underscore experience underscore trading on Instagram, and those are probably your best two ways to see what I'm up to these days. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Great. Thanks for sharing. All right. Um, We did get a couple questions in. You know, on your show description, I did put uh, land each of the 20 native trout species, and you said you landed 18, and you've got 19. And Phil McCartney wrote in here on the Internet, he says, What's the twentieth? <laughs> People love the numbers game. Yeah. No, it's, it's, I was not able to get an Arctic char. I took a, I rolled the dice, and there are some places that you can get Arctic char in Alaska. I don't want to say easily because it's all it's fishing, right? You never know, but they can be a little bit more. I went and I pursued a little bit lesser known area on the northern Kenai Peninsula, and I was unable to get one. Just time of year, warm weather, poor angling, combination of all of the above. And the 20th, which would have been, you know, my 20th species, was the Little Kern Golden Trout, which is a golden trout species that is found only in the Little Kern, the branch of the Little Kern River outside of Kernville, California. And unfortunately, when I was there this summer, the entire national forest in which its habitat is housed was closed due to a destructive wildfire the year before. So I was actually mm-hmm. unable to even pursue that one. I did go out there and check out the area, and I saw it, and I was successful in pursuing the other two native species that inhabit that same drainage, the California golden trout, which a lot of people don't know that that's where its home range is. They're across the west, but that's where they're from, as well as the Kern River rainbow trout, which is its own subspecies of rainbow trout. Ah, okay, good. The couple of, you know, thinking back on some of this, there was a question here, I think, on the internet. Oh, yeah. So when did you start? When did you actually start? And you said you just finished up this past week, right? A couple of weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago? In, okay. Start started in the very, the very end of April, very beginning of May. I did take a trip to Pyramid Lake in Nevada, north of Reno, where I had my first experience with Lahontan cutthroat trout. And just because of the you know, time of year, I went down there in February. But really in earnest, this project started the very end of April, where I went down and I caught the stream form of Lahontans north of Elko, Nevada. So these are the Pyramid Lake strain and the Pyramid Lake experience. It really doesn't showcase the conservation story and the population story of Lahontans. So I wanted to do both of those beautiful area. I really, really enjoyed that. And despite there being my neighbor to the south, that was the first time I'd ever been to that area. So I look forward to going back and uh, going, went down to the southwest in early May. So that was really when it kicked off it kicked off in earnest. So it's been a, a pretty clean six months. Six months. Oh, well, that's pretty encouraging. Yeah, to get that done. And 
a question came in here too. Yeah, Phil in Kentucky he says it was it easy to distinguish all 20 native trout species when you were catching them, or in this case, 18. Did you have any guide to make sure you were catching the one you wanted? Or no, that's, that's a great question. Um, yeah. And first, I'll set out that, and we haven't talked about this yet, but one of the first things that I set out for myself was that there was going to be two rules for this trip. And one was that I was going to catch each of these on public lands, national forest, national park, BLM, wilderness space, what have you. And the idea was just, in all honesty, that's not terribly challenging because of for the meaning that most of these are still abundant in public land spaces. And we can talk about why that is, but that's just the truth. But I wanted to do that because I wanted to showcase the accessibility. I wanted this to be an everyman's kind of story. I didn't want to have any sort of private rights or I didn't want to have any questions after if somebody going, like, oh, well, you know, he, he's getting paid to do this or he got a, an inside track. And so there was none of that. It was all, you know, it was footwork in public lands. Um, and so, and the second one was that I did not have any guides. I'm very endeared and I totally appreciate the value of professional guidance. I have friends that I would consider family that are guides. And I love to have those experiences all the time that I get. But again, that's not accessible to everyone. And I wanted to have this be kind of an honest showcase of what it's like to learn this for yourself, because I didn't know all of this before I started. I didn't go anywhere that I had ever been before. And a lot of these fish species I had never caught before. And that was one of the most, I used the word contextually dense earlier, or the phrase, I guess. And for me, knowing where I was and knowing the drainages and learning the rivers and knowing what species, what they looked like and what the risks were of, of hybridization or other species really taught me a lot and it really added a lot to the, the fishing experience. So no, there were definitely some. I was lucky enough to catch as close as you can possibly get to genetically pure, easily identifiable textbook examples. And there were some others that were maybe could have been hybridized. And, and just so everybody knows, the Western Native Trout Challenge, as long as these fish resemble the phenotype, the physical characteristics of the fish that you are pursuing, and it is, in fact, in its native drainage, it will count towards that challenge. Hmm. I guess my okay. point being is that by learning that and having that sort of confidence and that, you know, going into it knowing that, I thought that added a lot to the whole pursuit. And But there was, in Oregon, there was, I was in Oregon looking for, I was looking for bull trout, you know, mm -hmm. at, a, at a, a pretty well-known stream in Oregon. And I I was brought in a streamer and I came across this absolute hoss. Clydesdale of a fish, and I didn't know what it was. And uh, it was a red band trout. It was the biggest red, we call it a trophy interior red band, but I wasn't actually able to identify it. And I was well into my trip. I was very chuffed on myself, traveling writer, trout fisherman guy, and I got stumped, and it had to take me back to the board. So it does still happen, but I would encourage mm -hmm. people to, you know, look into where you're going and look into the history and the habitat and the and the species itself, and I think it adds a lot. And that confidence of kind of knowing what you're looking at is, is really, really cool. Yeah, so you did, sounds like you did a lot of research for each species before you went out, both the species yeah. and uh, the environment that they're in, to understand that. Yeah, yeah. like I said, I and this is something to where I myself, as a, I was, academically, I was a journalist, you know, I was a reporter and then an editor and a managing editor and things, and uh, I've just, 
it does help to know how to look at those things. But I think that was an experience that I do talk about in a couple of these stories where I think we look at our state agencies and even our federal agencies, which federal agencies can be kind of tough to get into and to really engage with just because they're so busy and they're, so, they're spread so thin. But, like, your state and area biologists and things, like, they're not just there to serve you with regulations and rules. You know, they're not just beat cops, you know, in the environment per se, and, and I'm not trying to meet, <laughs> demean anybody by that. Like, these are members of your community, and they're experts, and they're scientists, and, like, just give them a call. The beauty of all of these things, and, like, it's all available, but you have to learn how to read, read a map. You have to learn how to read, you know, an environmental impact report or to read a, a management plan. And I think that's a fantastic experience, and sure, it can be frustrating, and they're massive, you know, make sure you buy a new package of toner before you start printing them out. But I just thought that was a really valuable lesson. There's, these people are so nice and they're so willing to talk about what they love. And, you know, if you respect what they do, they'll respect what you're doing too. And I think that engagement with growing that community and not just like the fishing experience was one of the most valuable takeaways from this whole trip. Yeah, it was a lot of research because I did it the way that I did it in one fell swoop. You know, there was six months of planning yeah. before six months of fishing. But I think on an individual level, you could do that. And I think a lot of people would enjoy that engagement. And I think that helps with that relationship with your agencies. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it's, it's just quite – I mean, it sounds like you just learned a lot about a lot of different things besides just going and catching the fish themselves. You made it into, uh, you know, a really complete experience for yourself there, which is nice. Now, if somebody wants to pursue this, are there maps and so forth, you know, for the challenge where they tell you sure. where these drainages are and so forth? Yeah, so I would say first check your state agency websites because they are there, but they might be harder to find. And then write this one down, the westernnativetroutchallenge.org and they have what they call fish maps on there. And they're so well done, and they're beautifully laid out, and they're organized by the fish species, and they're layered and colored to where you can see what is recognized as the native either, I mean, it could be literally down to the river, or it could just showcase the area that will, you know, quote-unquote count for recognition mm -hmm. of the native species. And they're really, that's what they are eventually going to evaluate your submissions on. And I hope it's okay. I don't want to speak for them too much, but like I don't think the Western you know, taxonomy is a strange pursuit, right? You know, the, you got the lumpers and splitters, and we've all talked about that. But like I, I think the reality is that with the challenge, it's a framework. It's a framework to learn more and to be activated and engaged in your history. And I think utilizing those maps—that's like that's just walking through the door to learn all of this. Just intensely powerful stuff that I just, I, I can't get enough of it. Yeah, yeah. We got a comment here from uh, Charlie in yeah. Vesalia. He says, I have caught both of the fish that you missed, but he says you get, that you have him beat on all the rest. <laughs> so, uh, LOL there. <laughs> he says, <laughs> so maybe the two of you can join up and then you'll have it complete. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah Charlie, we got to, let's trade. <laughs> we we got we to gotta connect. <laughs> we, yeah. We've got some things, we got some information to offer each other. 
Yeah, then he says, uh, sorry about the fires in California, but at least you got to leave. <laughs> so some people still have to live there, yeah. So uh, anyway, he says congrats. But anyway, yeah, kind of funny comment. I'll leave that one alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Visalia, I don't know, is Visalia in California? I'm, I'm probably. Yeah. yeah, Charlie, I used to live, uh, for a short time, I lived and used to work out of Santa Cruz, California. I lived uh, on the one up north of that. Visalia is quite a bit inland. It's uh, central California. Uh, oh, it's okay. California town. Uh, so he's got, I don't know, if, I don't know how much great trout fishing is in Visalia, but I, I'm, he has access to some really great waters there. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> so let's talk about well, let's take a quick break here, and then before I get into the, the fish and the places and so forth that I want to talk about. So let's take a quick break and come right back, and uh, we'll dive into some of the trout you caught, some of the places you went, and, uh, and some stories about your journey. So hang tight, and we'll be right back. Enrico Puglisi flies pride themselves with creating unique and one-of-a-kind flies and fly-tying material. Enrico has been experimenting with durable synthetic and natural materials to create flies that catch fish for more than 20 years. His innovative products, including brushes, fibers, and components, have made a major impact on the direction of saltwater fly fishing, and his methods and materials are respected worldwide. Whether you want your flies hand-tied for you or you'd like to tie your own, be sure to visit Enrico Puglisi Flies and browse through their online catalog. Visit epflies.com. That's ep flies.com and do a little shopping today. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We're talking with Daniel Ritz about the Western Native Trout Challenge. So if you'd like to ask him a question, let's go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use that Q&A text box to send us your question. Okay, Daniel, let's talk about you kind of uh, prior to the show you sent me some good information. One of the things, you kind of broke the chapters of your work this summer into different areas. And I'd kind of like you to, you know, kind of run through those, telling us where you went and, you know, just in general what you caught. And then let's dig into some of the specific species. But just to give us a general idea of what this took in the way yeah. of logistics and travel and all that stuff. Yeah, I think uh, that's probably a good way to, to introduce, to get into any sort of specific stories, just to go over really top level. And I kind of broke it down into legs of the trip. And starting in late April, early May, I covered the, the deep southwest, so that being Nevada, New Mexico, and Arizona. So that would include Apache trout, Gila trout, not, not the Rio Grande in the northeast New Mexico, but just the western the Gila Wilderness, and then up north, further north in Nevada for Lahan. And the main reason for that was time of year. I had to get those, you know, before it got too awfully hot. I got a phone call from who is now a dear friend, Jeff Arterburn, who runs the Southern New Mexico Trout Unlimited chapter. And it's an 18-hour drive to New Mexico. The day before I left, he called me and said, you know, we're at 18% of our snowpack and, uh, you know, Ooh. basically good luck. Who knows what we're going to get into. So it, yeah. was, it was a real race. And so we, you know, but we were successful in those. And we can get into some details of those. I came back home to Idaho where I had flew to Alaska in early June or the very end of May. And then the first couple of weeks I was in Alaska for a little over three weeks. Flew to Juneau 
where I fished for coastal cutthroat trout and Dolly Barden with Mark Hieronymus at Trout Unlimited, flew up to Fairbanks from there where I got, excuse me, Lake Trout and Arctic Grayling with uh, Oliver Ankem, the president of the Fairbanks chapter of Trout Unlimited, drove down south, south central for Alaskan Rainbow, and then over to uh, my failing pursuit for Arctic Char, came back and did a Northern Rockies trek where I completed the Wyoming cut slam for all the native cutthroat species of Wyoming, starting in the, the lesser known West Slope cutthroat trout that still exists within Yellowstone National Park that very few people are aware of, and then down to Utah where I completed the Utah slam, uh, Utah cutthroat slam, I'm sorry, down to Colorado to Northeast New Mexico, met up with Toner Mitchell of Trout Unlimited, dear friend, he's fantastic, drove almost a thousand miles over to California, uh, across the central desert there, and I rode in 118 degree heat. Uh, my best friend is a whitewater rafting guide in Kernville, a college buddy of mine, and he said that they had dropped the water levels to where his season was over. That was the phone call I received while I was driving there, so just a humbling challenge to access the native species of California. That was a lot of work to get up really high, really early in the morning for cold water temperatures, et cetera. From there, drove up through the Dixie Fire up into Oregon, Washington for, and then Washington for Coastal Cutthroats with the Coastal Cutthroat Coalition. And what a fantastic piece that was. If you guys have a chance, um, I'll drop a link to my author page on Trout Limited. That was just such an incredible experience. James Losey of the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife and the Coastal Cutthroat Coalition guys back over to Idaho for bull trout and red bands and uh, wound up in Montana before I actually had to drive all the way back to California and I wrapped it up a couple of weeks ago for Eagle Lake Rainbow. So that's a, I did a big lap essentially around the, the western United States but through the Rockies down south all the way west and north and, and back home and here I am, you know, just a hair, hair shy of the 40th parallel. So you, you were on the road that whole time basically from uh – would you say, you know, April, beginning of May, uh, until just a couple of weeks ago? I took a, took a break. I, I shot photos for my buddy's wedding. He moved, uh, he was swallowed by the suburbs. He now lives in Chicago, and we went to a wedding and a bachelor party in Wisconsin. So that was a good uh. one-week break. <laughs> but other than that, yeah, I was on the road. I was living a, I have a 2015 F-150, and me and my father-in-law built out the back, and I was living out of that. So, yeah, a lot of camp meals and <laughs> no, no fires this year, but uh, it was a lot of oh. quiet, a lot of quiet time to think, Roger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make notes yeah. and write, and uh, yeah, I mean yeah. all that driving too. Plenty of time to to think. And, yeah, a lot and, of a lot of start and stop. So a lot of long drives, and then I would be somewhere, and I would be there for a day or two, and I wouldn't right. have to move at all, which is surprisingly a change for your body. You know, we're used to doing a little bit every day. I did like big chunks of you know either a lot or when I say nothing, I mean just fishing and experience trying to right. take in the environment. Yeah, yeah, quite the journey. Let's talk about yeah. some of the fish that you pursued and tell us, give us the full story. Let's start with the Gila trout and, you know, where you had to go to get that and what it was like. Did you have to hike in? You know, what kind of water was it in? Just the whole picture of how you achieved that goal. Sure. And if I miss any points that you think people would be interested in, just yeah, throw them at me after sure. I kind of get done. But well, like starting with the Gila, so the, the Gila trout is 
indigenous to really like a three river waterway in western New Mexico. I went into the Gila National Forest where I met up with some of the New Mexico Trout Unlimited folks where they were doing some conservation and restoration work on one of the streams. And the Gila trout is the furthest southern trout in the United States, to my understanding. And just the experience that they have had over the millennia of wildfire. And when I showed up, Roger, I going to this creek to meet these folks. And I drove over, you know, there's a sign. Everybody's seen them. There's one of those signs, National Forest sign, you know, this creek. And I get there and I cross it and I realize that I'm driving across the dry riverbed. And uh, it was, and then I go into and the landscape down there where we saw in, I believe, and forgive me if I'm wrong, I believe it was 2016 was the largest wildfire in the history of New Mexico. And it just absolutely wiped out what was thought to be these integral populations of Gila trout. And in the long run, what some of these actually turned out to do is that they actually cleaned out the invasive species. And the only species that remained and maintained were the native Gila trout. And I just thought that was the most remarkable story. And maybe everybody's heard this, but I had not. And how, just the, that was my first real lesson. I just got punched in the face with this perseverance of these native species and how perfectly adept they are to these habitats. Um, and that was a real introduction to the ecological value, not just the emotional, sentimental, but the ecological value of these species to, you know, to these habitats. Was, that was just breathtaking. And then the folks that are doing the work down there was just, it was breath. It was, it was absolutely incredible. It was overwhelming. It would put you to tears. And then so, you know, to just see these guys coming back and back again after wildfires and the Gila trout is a, is a real success story. They have really mm. resurrected some of those landscapes and some of those little creeks down there that you go through these valleys and, and canyons. Red Rock Canyons, and you would never believe that these fish would be here, and these little pools are just full of these beautiful Gila trout that'll just, it's an absolutely mesmerizing experience, and having spent a lot, quite a bit of time in New Mexico, I would highly encourage anyone to go enjoy the work that they're doing down there and to support it, because the, uh, the New Mexico um, agency, and yeah, they're fantastic, yeah. Are they, were these in then uh, very small creeks, mountain creeks? What was the topography uh, like? Yeah, these the... were, so for Gila Trout and the Gila National Forest, these were mostly rock canyon creeks. So these were creeks that were coming down. You're at a, just a generically high altitude, so it wasn't necessarily a lot of on-foot hiking per se, but you're, you're quite a ways back. There was very little. You weren't fishing from the trailhead. Uh, you'd have to head out a good bit. But there is a really cool, uh, and I'll share, you know, I, I will share this one, but Whitewater Creek is a pretty well-known. It's, it's essentially a, a recreational park that they have resurrected into this, I think it's a county park, forgive me if I'm wrong for that, but Whitewater Park is Whitewater Creek. And it is now, they have slowly built further and further up the towards the headwaters, and it is now an entirely native species water system. There's only native species in there, and uh, this is a, like essentially a recreational park for a community to enjoy. And I, when you look at this landscape, it's remark It's absolutely remarkable the work they've done down there, and I, I applaud all of their work from the agency to the volunteers uh, and Gila Trout are not to be missed. So are are these creeks? I mean, would these 
creeks be like, um, you know, ones that you can jump across, a place you'd find brook trout normally? I would say yes. I would say similar in my experience. And I see I have more experience with gila trout than I do brook trout. But I, I would, by description, yes. These are mostly these are small, four or five foot wide gila trout. Generically, are not the biggest. They can get sizable, but native wild gila trout are not going to be your, you know, the biggest species you're going to find on your challenge for sure. And the waterways you're looking are. They're very spooky, but the, in terms of if you can get a fly in front of them, they'll most likely they're going to take yeah. it. They can be tough to find, and that was the experience over this whole kind of journey, honestly. Is that like it was significantly, for the most part, usually harder, harder to find the fish than to catch them once you found them because they're ecologically naive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when you went to these areas or prior to going to these areas, you connected with Trout Unlimited chapters and or the fish and wildlife people or, or whoever is doing the, the conservation efforts and, and got some, some background yeah. on where to go and what to look for and how to fish it and that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, I, and absolutely. I mean, I, for, if there's 20 species, then there's, uh, there's I have made at least at least 40. You know, there's one for probably Trout Unlimited or a local fishing group in California. I had a few just like fishing clubs, and then also your state agencies. You know, mm-hmm. Everybody got a call, and that's a, yeah, I mean, I had a lot of assist and support from my kind of partners in this group, but like the, making those calls was, that's really the biggest takeaway from this whole thing, that kind of community, and seeing how many, I was not expecting Roger to have my faith in humanity restored by this trip. I thought it was going to be, <laughs> if anything, a little bit depressing, you know, and it really, it really was, so sorry, we digress. Yeah, yes. We did have some questions, and maybe you can kind of address this as we go through some of these trout, but, you know, Maurice in New Jersey asked, what kind of flies are you using? Are you dry fly fishing, your own nymphing? And uh, can uh, I, 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 I can't pronounce his last name. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, you know, asking what flies to use in unfamiliar water. So did, were these contacts that you came across giving you ideas on flies to use or were you studying the hatches in the area and or, or just um, how, how did you approach that I mean I'm a pretty committed generalist I have to admit if anybody's looking for counting the numbers of hairs on the hackle and like I, I, that's just not my game and I think that's really cool but it's just not how I approach my fishing I there were a few that were much more specified. Um, we're going to get into Alaska. Alaska was kind of its own beast just because it's so different. But even with that, to answer Maurice's question, I, I'm a big believer in find out what I call them searching patterns. I don't know if people, if that's a thing or if people use that phrase. Like, yeah. I, like oh, for definitely. me, I love, I love dry droppers or like hopper dropper combos, and I like searching patterns where even if you're not going to catch the fish, maybe it's too big, maybe it's too small, maybe you'll spook them. I want to move some fish. I want to know that they're there so that I can start to dial in because, like I said a little bit earlier, the biggest challenge for, for this challenge was it was more about finding the fish. I was looking at big areas. I was brand new to all these areas. I, it's not as if I was looking between pocket to pocket. I was looking at whole sections of the river. So I was really focusing on covering ground, not getting too down into the weeds on any one spot, and just getting really confident in my searching patterns. And for mm-hmm. me, that was okay. like a dry dropper, 
to be specific, I really love, you know, there's a million really fun, chubby Chernobyl adaptations, and I really like Amy's Ants as, like, a big dropper off the top, and then to do something like a Frenchie or a, a flashback pheasant tail, something 16, 18 underneath, and just to, to match the water depth, and just to see if you can get something moving, and from there you can start to work, but that was usually my approach upon getting to a new river or creek. How long did it take you to get your, your Gila trout once you arrived? Uh, let's see. <laughs> Two days. Uh, Two days? The first okay. creek that we went to was, it was kind of a Toner Mitchell there in New Mexico. He referred to it as apocalyptic. It was just all burnt out, and we couldn't find anything. And so I drove 18 hours and then got skunked, which was is a terrible thing to do. But then the next day, thankfully, we were able to see, find, and I was able to get into my first Gila trout. Okay. Let's talk about lake trout, and you went to Alaska for that, right? Yeah, I did. I, I got lake trout uh, just south of Fairbanks. Uh, so I fished with Oliver Ancans, who's the president of the Trout Unlimited chapter there, just a volunteer young guy, one of the fishiest guys I know and a, and a good friend. And he uh, He's kind of got this lake trout thing dialed. And I, being from Idaho, my experience with lake trout, uh, which we'll kind of circle around on this. I think we're going to talk about the, uh, Wyoming and Montana a little bit later, but my experience with lake trout is related to the Yellowstone cutthroat trout and the Yellowstone Lake right. story, where right. they are invasive there, and and there's this they have this stigma and they're predatory and they're nasty, and I just so going there, I was I was not looking forward to pursuing lake trout as much as some others especially because, you know, they live in deep water and they're really cold water and that was the, most people troll for them and things like that. And I'm, right. Not there's anything wrong with that. That's just not my particular, that's not my the way that I enjoy fishing the most. So I was really not looking forward to it. And But, man, we went up and it was pissing rain and it was snowing and we're walking on the ice shelves, sticking out over the ice, hiking in two or three miles in the sleet and just pitching you know, and it's an eight weight pitching a, a weighted streamer on a sink line onto the edge of the ice and then letting it fall underneath the ice and like just waiting for these predatory lake trout to spring out and rip on little like whitefish imitations. And I thought it was never going to happen. But I get a couple hours into it and who knows however many casts, I finally managed to get one right and this thing nailed it and it was just, it was like a freight train. It was so fun, and the whole experience of, like, in the sleet and just chucking and ducking and learning this whole angling experience that I, like, I had never fished like that before. And so that was a, it was just, it, it absolutely blew my mind, and those things just bulldog, and they roll, and this is kind of embarrassing to say, but I, I'm not a generation-long fly fisherman. That was the first fish that I ever that I ever had kind of line me, Roger. It took me, and I didn't give it, I didn't give it line. Like, I tried to just really hold it back, and it just ran off with my fly. And it just broke It just broke me off. It tested me. I tried to pull it, and it didn't want to. You know, my buddy Oliver, he's just yelling, give it line. Give it line. Yeah. He's screaming <laughs> up the you know. And I just, I was trying to just play it because I, I had never had anything really give me a run for my money like that. I was very quickly humbled in Alaska, which was, I don't know, it felt good. It felt like it should happen there, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, at, at least you had a nice day of weather, you know, for Alaska. <laughs> you know, I, I, maybe we could say a, 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 appropriate. I don't know. It, 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 it could was, get it worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, I absolutely, it. it absolutely could have got worse. 
Yeah, I lived in Alaska for three years, so uh, yeah, that, that's not anything abnormal up there. No, but yeah. uh, but there can be beautiful days. Yeah, in Alaska, I'm just kidding. Sure. Around. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes it takes a day like that to get in, you know, where those trout feel secure, it's dark, they're under ice. Uh, on a nice yeah. sunny day, you might have struck out. Yeah, yeah. No, it, was, it all worked out, and uh, I appreciate Oliver kind of, you know, working with me. And, and it was just that time of year, that was the time to go. And, I mean, this, we're looking at drought and high temperatures, and everybody's looking at alternatives. We're looking at, like, oh, maybe we should go yeah. fishing for bass or carp and, like, and that. That's all great. Yeah. I, I love fishing for warm water species. Like, if you want an alternative, like a new pursuit, like, man, there's something there. There's something there to that, Where, like, ice off, spring, fall, uh, ripping big streamers for those lake trout. Like, those things just yeah. hit, like, free train. Now, where was this again in Alaska? South of Fairbanks. I was in the Alaska okay. range. I'm, uh, I'm going to try to keep my invite to go back, and I'm not going to give the specific area, but there's a few lakes that are on the interior there in the Alaska range mm-hmm. that have lake trout. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. And that's what you went there specifically for, was just lake trout, not the grayling? Yeah, we, or we fished grayling outside of Delta Junction, and we did fish for, and again, the grayling fishing was unreal. And for me, being from Boise, and I always like to kind of joke around and call myself like a, um, that western Rocky Mountain, like ballerina fly fisherman, you know, where it's dry flies or die kind of thing. And, and the grayling fishing was lights out, and it was just such a remarkable experience of just holding that trophy. Like, outside Delta Junction, there's a couple of rivers, and, I mean, we were looking at, like, real trophy grayling, 20, yeah. 20, 22-inch-plus grayling, and holding one of those things that they're like a whitefish, but they're rounder. You know, you lived in Alaska. Like, they're, yeah. just, they're sure. rounder, and they're just they're thick in a way that, like, it was so – I was so overwhelmed by how far away from home I felt. I was so far away from home. I just that to me was the moment in the trip where I just went like, "This is what it's all about." Like this is that was the most like, exotic feeling I had had. And yeah. I'm sure folks in Alaska kind of laughed at that when I said it, but I was like, "No, really, this is like I." I was blown away by that experience, but it was uh, yeah. yeah, that yeah. was that was great. Beautiful cool, rivers cool. up there. Let me take another quick break here, and we'll come back, and we'll talk about bull trout, western slope cutthroat trout, and yellowstone cutthroat trout. So uh, we'll wind it up with those three. So uh, hang tight. Be right back. Fly Fishers International needs your support. Its conservation projects at both the national and club level are addressing critical issues of importance to fly fishers. The organization provides grants to help with restoration of habitats like Wolf Creek in Idaho and Sands Creek in Delaware County, New York and funds projects that collect valuable data about fish in their habitats, like the peacock bass study in Miami, Florida. FFI's core values remain unchanged to serve as a strong advocate for fly fishing in all waters for all fish, and to preserve and to promote the arts of fly casting and fly tying, and to help ensure future generations can continue to enjoy these one-of-a-kind experiences. These efforts won't be nearly as effective without your help. If you're not already a member, we invite you to join Fly Fishers International as they work to cultivate conservation, education, and community within the sport of fly fishing. Join Fly Fishers International today and help support their fine work. For more information, go to their website at flyfishersinternational.org. That's flyfishersinternational.org. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Daniel Ritz about the Western Native Trout Challenge. So if you have any questions, type them in on the homepage of askaboutflyfishing.com, and we'll try to get them answered here. So... 
Phil uh, from Kentucky wrote in here and asked, that, was there a favorite uh, native trout species that you caught? Uh, and if so, why was it your favorite? So I uh, I struggle with this question, and I'm gonna I'm gonna refrain from saying that I had a favorite that I caught on this trip. But I I'm gonna stand by my standard statement, which is that West Slope cutthroat trout are my favorite of the native trout and of the West. And that is only because, not even because of the fish. I just I'm an Idaho boy, and I think I think that West Slope cutthroat trout live in the most beautiful places in the world. If I was going to be a trout, I'd be a West Slope cutthroat. If yeah, I was going to be, be one, okay. I would, I'd be a West Slope. And I'd live in the Central Mountains and, you know, the, the, those cold water streams up in, up in the Frank Church in northern Idaho. And, yeah, I'm going to stand by that one. But in terms of a favorite experience, they were all different and remarkable yeah. in their own ways. So it's, that's kind of that's a really tough question. It's a good question. Sure. But it's tough to answer. Yeah, it's kind of like what's your favorite fly, you know? <laughs> yeah. That depends. Well, it depends, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Since you brought it up, let's talk about the West Slope Cutthroat and uh, sure. where you went to get that and what your experiences were. Yeah, I'm happy to say that I had one of the most remarkable experiences catching West Slope Cutthroats that I didn't intend to. But shout out uh, Chris Hunt of Trout Unlimited. He's an esteemed author and he's you know still working for the digital magazine and a lot of the digital components for Trout Unlimited. Weeks before I, maybe a week before I left to go to New Mexico to really, you know, I was quitting my day job. I was fully committed to the story, and Chris was all in, and he had me, you know, hook, line, and sinker. That's terrible to say on a fishing show. Um, <laughs> but Chris had, sorry, Chris had me, uh, you know, Chris wrote this fantastic story on the St. Joe River up in northern Idaho, and that's where I was originally going to go for West Slope. You know, these are big, you know, eager cutthroats, sassy, sassy cutthroats, I think he calls them, and, and he just wrote this, like, absolutely remarkable piece that no one's going to write a – maybe you could write something different or – like, no one's going to write something better than that. Like, I was, how am I going to follow this up? And I'm crossing from Oregon, and West Slope are indigenous to a lot of the uh, northern Columbia basin. So you're looking at northern Idaho, western Montana, the Flathead region, so a lot of things that are draining out of the Columbia uh, and the northern Rockies there. And, I'm crossing from Oregon and going across, and the St. Joe is essentially closed everywhere I needed to go due to a wildfire complex. So, you know, I was pretty pretty upset. You know, I was again, I was going to get shut out, and I couldn't. This was kind of been frustrating from the start, and so I start going down the list. I'm going further south in Idaho, and I was going to go to. There's a couple of, you know, I'll call them highlight reel places in central Idaho that I wasn't going to be able to access because of either wildfire or just time and, you know, I was coming up on the end of my trip and money and scheduling. I needed to get back to write a piece for a place before. And um, so I, I had this feeling of where I was settling. And so I, I have this fascination. I'm, that's the wrong word. I'm really interested in learning about some indigenous cultures of the West and being here in Idaho, the Laksa and Route 12 that travels up through the Bitterroots up towards Missoula and fishing the Laksa for West Loop. Um, I spent three full days of what I was kind of a little bit upset that I was going to quote-unquote have to do. And it was lights out fishing, and it's a well-known area that still, West Slopes have historically had the largest range of any of the native trout, and they still do. And that speaks to management from Idaho Fishing Game for, you know, one example, as well as the 
protections of a lot of the headwaters of their native range being within federal lands, uh, largely within the central mountains and the, the northern mountains of Idaho. And so that, while it was a slow start, that abundance was something that really spoke to me and what I wrote my story about for TU, about my West Slope experience. It was a slow burn, but uh, West Slope you know, continued to maintain their place you know, in, my, in my list. So what was, it sounds like you caught a bunch of them, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, I've got a few special ones for sure that I certainly never encountered before. But yes, they were abundant there in the Selway Better Wilderness space. It was great to see. You know, I had just got done my time in Washington where coastal cutthroat trout they know very little about, despite the fact that it's probably the first lineage of cutthroat and a really tough time having to do some heavy hunting for bull trout, which I know we're going to get into. And, and so to see something that I was so endeared to that I had been traveling the West, looking, you know, we're having to work really hard for the things that are you know, indigenous to this area, and which is sad in a lot of ways without a better word to describe it, but uh, seeing how West Lopes were abundant and it just the dense, dense population, robust population, this would be a great word, was just really refreshing. And it gave me that little kick. It was like the bottom of the eighth inning in a baseball game. It gave me enough energy and kind of uh, enough gas to keep me going. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're running short on time here. We've got about 10 minutes left to finish up. But okay. let's talk about the bull trout experience then. Yeah, well, <laughs> pretty short story, honestly, is that's a good place to go. Uh, my bull trout, my bull trout, I think I describe bull trout as they, it's like shooting, it's like shooting at a moving target in the dark that you can't see, essentially. Like, they're highly migratory. They're insanely camouflaged. I had never caught one prior to this trip. And I went up into the central mountains of Idaho. Idaho established very early on a statewide catch and release pro, you know, program for bull trout. And we have you know, likely the most robust species that you can still openly fish for. Other places have bull trout, but fishing is restricted. And so I was happy to be able to do that at home and finally was able to dance with a, a healthy bull trout there in the central mountains of Idaho, you know, maybe four or five hours from my home on the border of the Frank Church Wilderness. And I would highly encourage anybody to go and check out that story. It's a, it's a pretty good insight into a modern you know, resource extraction. I was on, I'm happy to say, at the East Fork of the South Fork of the Salmon. And there's a really involved, really complicated story that I'm not trying to dogmatize or say that I know anything about, but it is a very interesting story revolving around what we find value in in our native resources and what we kind of think of as a resource. So, yeah, bull trout. If there's anything about the trout challenge, I think I realized that I might be a char, man. That you might be what? I'm sorry? I might be a char, man. Uh, oh. Lake trout, uh, <laughs> lake, lake trout, yeah. bull, uh, you know, bull trout, you know, a brook trout even. You know, they're all char species. I think I might have, yeah. a, might have a thing for, you know, belly varden and all, you know, hardy char. Yeah. How did you catch the bull trout? I mean, what method did you uh, use? I was, I was on a streamer. So as you do with the streamers, I was really deep pool on the outlet stream of a, it was a lake that was leading into an outlet stream and I was swinging through the outlet of the stream, probably a man, 12 to 15 foot deep pool cast, you know, pitching off basically off the rock bank on the other side, letting it sink down, you know, on a sink tip with a small, like I say small, but it was a full size sculpin imitation. 
and uh, just kind of letting that thing that letting that thing swing through and you don't you know you often don't see them and you just you know it's the habitat and you you know you have the time of year and you know they're there and yeah it, it just they kind of come up from the depths they hide you know they, they hide under brush and so just really um, just trying to make sure that you get down and you have something that you know, looks like a, a bait fish imitation that they would be appealing to them so yeah on, on a streamer is usually way the, the way to go and then luckily further downstream I was. One of my favorite bull trout was probably an, an eight-inch juvenile bull trout, just showing oh, that there wow. was like a healthy, mm. a healthy, young, just beautifully like vibrantly colored bull trout, mm. just living, you know, in this stream, which was a real sign of the future and kind of a sign of, of this hope of population of a federally endangered species. And so yeah. that was, uh, you know, while it was it was not one of these forty-inch Clydesdales that you see people um, with photos and things on Instagram. That, that might have been the bull trout that really won me over more than anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That uh, that could do it. Okay, lastly, yeah. Yellowstone cutthroat. Yeah, a lot of people think of Yellowstone as just like the the icon cutthroat species, and I wouldn't, I couldn't disagree with that. I just, uh, I think I caught more, I caught Yellowstones in more places statewide, you know, state-wise, I'm sorry, um, than any other species on this trip in Idaho and Utah and Montana and Wyoming. And just the eagerness that Yellowstones have to take big flies and just the way that they live in with what I felt was sort of the, the textbook definitions of trouty areas. And you, you see a bend with a soft corner and you're like, that's where a cutthroat would live. And then bang, it's there. And just fishing for them in, in the Yellowstone National Park and up in a couple of places in Montana. Uh, Montana has a really interesting rule to where they don't allow fishing in native habitats. You're fishing for genetically pure, the, the native species, but they're in stocked non-connected areas like alpine lakes or things like that, which a lot of people see as negative, but these areas are absolutely beautiful and to, to kind of be forced to do that hike and to see a new place. I was outside of uh, Livingston, Montana, and just Yellowstone's just provided such a range for me, and mm -hmm. I just, they are the definition of why everyone wants to come out west and why everyone wants to catch a cutthroat and see that blood red cheek and that big fat yellow body gut and you know whether you're catching them in really small streams at high altitudes in Yellowstone National Park or whether you're swinging spay rods in the Yellowstone River like the Yellowstone cutthroat might you see one of those in person and you I've said this along my whole trip it's hard to summarize this whole experience and like what native trout mean in any one sentence but I will guarantee you that when you go when you go, you'll know. And I think a Yellowstone cutthroat might be the one that you catch when you go and you know. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I know it's very basic sounding, but that it's really true. So you can yeah. – um, I, I would just – that's a great entry into the Western experience. Yeah. And, you, and then no, thankfully, you, there, yeah, there are a lot of places. Yeah, I'm sure you felt this many times when you were out there. I felt it last weekend because we had – I was up in uh, my place in Bailey, Colorado, and we had a couple friends come up and stay the weekend with us. We went on a hike to see the aspens and stuff. And while I was out there, and I was kind of ahead of everybody else, and I was just thinking about, you know, because you were talking about Native Americans, and 
you know, and, and going back to these native trout and, you know, just reflecting when I was walking the trail, like, who walked this trail before? A lot of these trails are from Native Americans. In fact, I have some, I have some uh, Ute prayer trees on my property. I don't know if you've ever investigated that, but that's a, a whole other story where the shamans had bent over the trees and so forth. But, yeah, I mean, many times when I'm in the outdoors, I get that feeling of reconnection back to your roots of the outdoors when we didn't have a house to go back to. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, sure. yeah, yeah, it's uh, the wilderness does that for you. And, and getting back to those fish that uh, were here many, many years ago before us uh, is pretty exciting. Well, we're out of time, and um, but thanks for sharing tonight. Stick with me, Daniel, a little bit longer because we're going to give away a few prizes and I'd like you to help me out. And so hang tight, and we'll get to that in just a minute. I just want to remind everybody tonight, before you leave our website tonight, please take a minute and give us your feedback about the show. You can find a link on our home page in the section under tonight's show that says, what did you think of this show? Just click on the link and leave your comments. We'd really appreciate it. So now it's time to give away some prizes. The winners for our drawings are randomly selected from our show's registration database. If you didn't register by now, it's too late, but do so for our next show so you don't miss out on our great prizes. Let's see here. Okay. Hold on. Yeah, uh, Daniel, I just muted you out because we're getting a lot of background noise there. Uh, I'll unmute you in a minute. <laughs> the winners, as I said, are randomly selected from the database. Register for our next show and see if you have a chance to win there. If you are the lucky winner, we're going to contact you after the show and, and provide you with information on how to get your prize. So first, we're going to give away a membership to Fly Fishers International. To learn more about FFI, go to flyfishersinternational.org flyfishersinternational.org. And uh, so let me fire up the database. We're going to give away that membership. And it looks like our winner is Rodney Gilge, Rodney Gilge in Washington. So uh, Rodney, congratulations. I'm sure you're going to enjoy your membership. And next up is the Fly Fishing and Tying Journal subscription from amatobooks.com. Go to amatobooks.com, check out all the publications. They have many books on fly fishing, so check them out. And our winner for that is Jim Grove in Alabama. Jim Grove in Alabama. So congratulations, Jim. And congratulations to both you gentlemen tonight. I'm sure you're going to enjoy your prizes. And now, Daniel, we're going to give away your we're going to give away a book. And I'm going to pull some pull a question out of what we talked about tonight. Question is name name one of the species that Daniel is would still like to catch out of the twenty that he was going after. What name one of those two fish? You just go to our form on our homepage, fill out that form with your name and your location, and then and your answer, and we'll uh, first one in will win. Celebrating and, my failures, Roger. <laughs> Uh, well, I couldn't really say uh, name one of the other ones. That'd be too easy. Uh, but and let's see here if we have a winner. Let's see, get some answers coming in here. I've got an Arctic char. Yes, I think Daniel, that was one of them, correct? 
That is correct. I okay. did not get an Arctic char. <laughs> so I didn't mean to rain on your parade. Sorry about that. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, Daniel Ito, Kent, Washington, congratulations, Daniel. Um, congratulations. Yeah, hey, at least it went to a Daniel. See, there you go. I love it. Um, I love it. Yeah, there we yeah. Go. Good job, Daniel, being quick on the keyboard there. I've got your email address. Daniel, put in your mailing address, your shipping address, into the same box, and then we'll get this book shipped out to you. So thanks for paying attention and listening to the show and sticking with us. Really appreciate it. Daniel, really appreciate you being with us, and it's a pleasure talking with you about your journeys and your adventures, and uh, sounds like a a great thing to do, and I'm sure you've inspired a lot of people to do so themselves. So thank you so much for being here tonight. Thank you, Roger. I appreciate you having me. And uh, anybody that has any questions or any, needs anything at all, like I fully encourage you to reach out, and I wish you the best of luck. Yeah, great. And they can reach you through your website, right? Yep, through my website or probably Instagram is probably the best place to find me. So you can just look okay. up my name, and uh, it shouldn't be too hard. Okay, great. Great. Thanks, Daniel. Well, hopefully you've all uh, found our podcast archive on our website. If you haven't, just look for that link in the top-line menu for the podcast archive. Go there. I think we're up to 347 shows there in the archive now. So uh, check it out. Search with the keyword search, and you'll find shows on just about anything I think you'd want to find information on. So enjoy, explore, have fun. Our next broadcast will be on November 3rd, 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And on that show, I'm going to interview Randy White. And our topic for the show will be Randy Wayne White Tells All, maybe. <laughs> so Randy is a New York Times best-selling author of 45 novels. Randy was a light tackle fishing guide in Tarpon Bay Marine and Sanibel Island for 13 years, did more than 3,000 charters and draws heavily on those experiences for his novels about marine biologist Doc Ford and his quirky pals at Dinkins Bay. His series of novels about fishing guide Hannah Smith has also received critical acclaim. Join us to learn more about Randy's writing career, how he started, where he gets his ideas, what motivates him, and, of course, there's going to be a few humorous stories about his travels in the fishing world. Be sure to add this upcoming show to your calendar. Just click on that Add to Calendar button below his photo on our homepage, and you'll be all set. So we'd like to thank Fly Fishers International, Amato Books, Lee's Ferry Anglers, Charlie Leslie Fly Fishing, and Enrico Puglisi Flies for sponsoring our show tonight. And don't forget to visit our website, askaboutflyfishing.com, and make sure you're signed up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Thanks for listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We hope you enjoyed the show. That's it. Good night, everyone, and good fishing.